This episode of Seize the A is brought to you by Carmex Lip Balm. There's always going to be someone that doesn't like you for whatever reason, and you just need to accept it. Like, it's a reflection of them. You know, if you're happy with yourself and someone's coming at you for no reason, it's not your fault. There's something that they're going through. I don't know, you've always got so many different voices in your head telling you you can, you can't, you've been out of it for too long. I'm like, at the end of the day, it's my life, and if I apply myself the way I know how to, I'm going to get there. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfilment along the way. I don't know if you guys experience this the same way I do, but I walk away from some episodes wanting to make lifelong friends with our guests just to spend more time around their energy and ideas. Morgan Mitchell is absolutely one of those people who is both everything you'd expect of an Olympic athlete and nothing you'd expect of an Olympic athlete all at the same time. Once you hear Morgan's incredible self-awareness, determination and long-time passion for sport, her success on the track makes so much sense with a string of accolades under her Belt, starting from the tender age of six. Two decades later, at just 26 years old, she is now preparing for her second Olympics in Tokyo, taking on a completely new focus, swapping from the 400 metres to the 800 metres, which, as you'll hear, is nowhere near as similar as you might expect. What might surprise you, however, is her refreshingly balanced approach to running, which makes up but one part of her identity and goals in life. In fact, it's her commitment to maintaining interests and a busy schedule off the track that she credits for her success on it, encouraging all of us to remember that life is more than just your career. So you'll hear about her journey to the Rio Olympics in 2016, but you'll hear more about its after party, as well as that time Shaquille O'Neal slid into her DMs, the James Cameron movie she featured in alongside Arnold Schwarzenegger, the other forms of training she does, including becoming an F45 ambassador and their first Olympic athlete, and everything in between. I still don't really believe she's only 26 with such a wise and solid head on her shoulders. I hope you guys have have as much of a laugh as I did. Morgan Mitchell, welcome to Seize the Yay. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. I can't believe you just came from training. What a legend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the schedule up here is pretty full. Up in the GC for a training camp. Um, so yeah, I had to rush home straight after the gym, but I'm here now, so... I love that you were like, I'm sorry. It's like, do I look feral? I'm in a hoodie. I'm like, mate, I'm like five days deep in lockdown. Like you're talking to <laughs> the ultimate swamp creature right now. It's totally fine. <laughs> I'm glad people can't see us. <laughs> no, you look great. I put makeup on for you. I was like, I just, <laughs> this is a famous Olympian, you know? Like, you need to get out the goods. Well, I should have tried a little harder. <laughs> <laughs> no, you look amazing. <laughs> and you have an actual excuse. I've been doing no things this morning. So, <laughs> well, before we kick off, I start every episode by asking the guest what the most down to earth thing is about them to kind of break through that often glossy surface that sometimes we get when guests are as well known as you. And for someone who's not only a hugely successful Aussie Olympian has starred in a James Cameron film alongside Arnold Schwarzenegger. 
And mind you, has had Shaquille O'Neal slide into her DMs before. <laughs> <laughs> we need some relatable material. So, you know, what's something relatable about you? Relatable. I, I tell you what, I was asking my training partners in the car. I was like, oh, this is the first question. I'm a bit nervous. And they both said, and I've heard it quite a lot, is that I'm actually really selfless um, and generous. That's a lovely yeah, one. Yeah. And then I was reflecting. I'm like, all right, maybe I'm a little bit too self-aware. <laughs> no, but, um, <laughs> no, yeah, I think that would probably be the number one thing. And honestly, like, I get that there's all that stardom or whatever of being an athlete, being on TV, but at the end of the day, I'm just, I think I'm pretty good at just being down to earth and being myself um, because I have a very honest family. So I think it all just stems from that. I love that. That's such a nice one. I had on my list, like if you were struggling, you know, you like to get drunk naked. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I used to be a lawyer. So I researched like really, I get deep into the internet. I'm like, let me find some shit to pull oh, up. God. But that was such a beautiful answer. <laughs> it's like, you know me. <laughs> well I would love to get to know you a little bit better so the first section is your way TA which is where we trace back through all the chapters that you know most people walk into your life at this one where you've got a really clear purpose and you know where you're going you've got the Olympics ahead of you but they forget often that you know there have been probably many chapters of your life where you didn't know what direction you were going in or you didn't know who you wanted to be. And I think we forget without going back through the story that all of us started as a, as a child who had no idea of the world. So take us back to the very beginning. What were you like as a kid? What was your childhood like? Mixed race heritage as well. Did you experience any racism as a child? And how did, you know, I know your dad was a former uh, basketball player. So is that where the sporting interest came in? Yeah, um, I think as a kid, like I was six around the time of the 2000 Olympics. And obviously they're in Sydney. So I think back then everyone was just super sporty, right? Or everyone just cared about it because it was coming to Australia. Originally I wanted to be a gymnast and a ballerina, but I was the biggest tomboy. <laughs> I still don't really understand why. <laughs> That's amazing. So um, but both my parents were great. Like mum was into horse riding, dad was into basketball. So we've, we've always been quite sporty, but mum was awesome in the fact that she had us try everything. So, you know, like she took us to chess classes and then I'd be learning piano and then she loved painting. So we paint with her and then we, you know, do all the different sports because she wanted us to figure out what it was that we loved. And I just don't know how I fell into the most basic sport. Like I loved running. <laughs> like you try all these things and I end up running. Are you serious? Like what the fuck? <laughs> mate like you need you don't even have equipment like a court a ball like be interesting I will say like I've always been told I'm way better at ball sports because my sisters and I played um at a pretty high level with netball and basketball um but yeah at the end of the day I was like no running brings me so much joy like the people you meet overseas the experiences that you have and just being able to run for yourself is a pretty good feeling you know, as a kid, I was honestly, mum would say, like, my sisters would agree. I was pretty feral. Like, I was just, you would have thought I was a brother. <laughs> I would never wear skirts, never wear dresses. Nothing like that appealed to me. I was all about, yeah, running, Game Boys and Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> oh, my God, Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> I had all these cards, like these Pokemon cards and, like, Dragon Ball Z cards. <laughs> I pulled them out maybe at the end of last year, like, what the <laughs> Mate, you could sell those for so much money. I think I could. Everyone's saying like you could make so much money off of them, but I want to keep them just because it's funny. Like to me, it's fun yeah. to laugh. <laughs> I can't imagine you playing Pokemon. Me neither. <laughs> but I have two um, half brothers, and whenever we'd visit them, they just forced us to play. 
but I was a huge gamer when I was a kid and then yeah just grew out of it and again fell in love with running somehow oh my gosh well I love that you know being a kid is that time where you do kind of just play every sport and you don't have that layer of being fearful of looking silly like you know as you become an adult you get like I don't want to try that because like I might fall or I'll be bad at it but as a kid we kind of all explore everything and we don't care if we fall and I I love that so much but many kids do kind of do athletics and netball but not many of us go on to become Olympians so (laughs) (laughs) was that always the plan like I read that at six was when the Olympics became your dream and you watched Kathy Freeman and that really lit a spark. Did you ever kind of consider any other career or from that moment was it like this is what I want to actually be? i tell you what's funny is like I remember when I thought, oh, I love running, I want to be an Olympian. When I was six, I remember writing it down because like we obviously had to do school projects around that time that had to be Olympic related and it was just like in my heart I knew I'm going to the Olympics. How crazy is that? Like I look back on it and I just think how? Like, how did I know? Because then when I got to high school, that was out the window. It was all about partying and drinking. <laughs> <laughs> that dream was long gone. It's just my favourite story to tell because I remember being in year 12, I absolutely exhausted my sister's fake ID. <laughs> <laughs> it popped up on the news. This is back in 2012. And they're like, oh, Rio is the host city for the 2016 games. I'd been out of the sport for four years. And I remember calling my coach, my first coach, Peter Burke. And I was like, hey, I'm back. I want to go to the Olympics in four years. And he kind of giggled. It was pretty funny. And honestly, we just got training that year. Um, we made the World Juniors that year off of like two months training. Um, and then the ball just got rolling from there. You know, like it was just crazy that the dream was alive again. I don't know, really, it, it was caused from wanting to just party in Brazil. <laughs> and then I get that, I actually have to act like a professional athlete. I've learned so much along the way and here we are. <laughs> Most people are just like, I'm going to do some Contiki tour in Brazil. And you're like, no, my way to get to Brazil is by being an Olympian. Like that's how yeah. I'm going to get there. <laughs> and that was the thing, like growing up with a single mum, we couldn't afford everything. And I knew running would be the only way I could get out of the country and actually explore. So for me, it was like such a humbling experience knowing, wow, we we did that. Um, So, yeah, I kind of knew my career path would always end up, I'd always end up in sport. But now that I'm older, now I'm kind of like, let's venture out. I want to try new things because Mm. it's not like I've done it all, but I kind of have almost done everything or made every team that you can make in track. And I just want to see what else I can do. And I'm thankful for mum because she got us to try everything. So it's like, you know, go try singing, go try acting, go try fashion design, which are all the things I'm interested in um, and just see what you can make of it really. Yeah. I think that's why you're such an interesting athlete because you do often get that person who at six or Kathy Freeman then became an Olympian, did track and field all through uni, didn't drink, didn't party, like took it all so seriously. And like, I don't know if you know, my husband was Yana's, Yana Pittman's training partner in the 400 hurdles. So uh, you probably have like a lot of friends in common and he was in that camp. Like he didn't have alcohol until like he was such a late bloomer because he took it so seriously. But I think it's really healthy that you did go through a little break in high school, you know, like, cause you got it out of your system and you got to see Absolutely. like, do I really want this? And I think a lot of people would assume that if you took a break, you wouldn't ever be able to come back to an elite level, but you did. Yeah, yeah. You took a break and then you came back and went to the Olympics. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's funny. Like I have a lot of, um, my coach coaches a lot of younger kids. So they'd be like from eight to about 14, 15 years old. And they're all quite serious. But I'm like, guys, you don't get your childhood back. 
So don't feel guilty if you do want to go to a party over a race or, you know, if you do want to have a drink. I'm not your mum. I'm not encouraging you. But I'm just saying, I was like, you'll know the difference between running well and not running well. I was like, you're 15. <laughs> and I try to, like, just get them to understand that it's not the be-all and end-all right now. Like, it might seem that way. But there's a lot more to life when you're a kid. It's like, you don't even have to pay bills or worry about anything. So please, laugh it up. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy that. Because I'm 18 and things change. Right? And that's just the way I've always thought is, like, I don't know, you've always got so many different voices in your head telling you you can, you can't. You've been out of it for too long. But I'm like, at the end of the day, it's my life. And if I apply myself the way I know how to, I'm going to get there. You know what I mean? Like, it's not rocket science. Oh, <laughs> God, it's not rocket science. It is so obvious, but it does seem to become a really difficult thing for us to accept that yeah. even outside of sport, like, I think a lot of us believe if we take our foot off the pedal for two seconds, like we're going to get behind and like, oh my God. But actually the healthiest people or the people who have the best energy and momentum are the ones who step away from what they do and then come back to it yeah yeah and that's the thing it's like sometimes you step away and you don't realize that there might be something else in store for you you know what I mean I'm a big believer in everything happening for a reason oh yes yeah, yeah, I love you hundred yeah, percent and sometimes I think what I've been what I've learned to accept is that like the world's not all smiles and rainbows right you have to take the good with the bad and that it's like okay to be sad you know, and you've just got to roll with it and deal with it right then and there. And I think that's what's helped me kind of progress within my career as well, because I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to have bad days. Like right now I'm coming back from an injury and it sucked. It was my first one ever in my whole career. But then I thought, oh, to go 26 years without being injured is pretty impressive. And it means, it, it meant for me that I could actually focus on other stuff away from the track. And I had other opportunities which were just as big. Um, so I saw that as a blessing in disguise and I used something that sucked to the best of my ability and turned it into something else. So yeah, that's kind of what I try to teach the kids is like, yeah, it's going to, you know, you're going to have hard days, but at the same time, something better may come from it. Absolutely. You've got to just roll with it sometimes and do things that you love. <laughs> I often say, uh, I love quotes cause it's like my way of stealing what other people say better than me, but working yeah. sound. <laughs> <laughs> profound <laughs> so one of the ones that I love is uh beautiful new beginnings are often disguised as painful endings so if something feels really shit and it feels like that you know your world's crushing down around you it's usually stuff's falling apart so something better can fall together after you just have to like keep focused on the positives and eventually they you know you build back up that's literally how I think right I love that you're speaking as if you're an 80 year old you're like you know my whole career with all this <laughs> wisdom I'm like how are you 26 years old <laughs> you're amazing I told my best mate Nana she's next door I'm like we're having a 30th this year for me I'm basically there let's just get done oh. <laughs> I'm 32 and I'm like, so um, spill your wisdom. Like, let's have a one-on-one -on -one counselling session right now. <laughs> but this is why, I mean, it's so cool that your first Olympics in Rio, you were 21. Like, most of us at 21 are in some gutter outside a train station with, like, Bacardi bruises, which, actually, I know you also were doing in Rio. So that's balance for you. But <laughs> So we kind of got it out of the system, like we said. <laughs> Right? It's it's more just efficiency. Like get it out of the way early and then you'll you, you can settle down later. What was that like? <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> <laughs> At the time I thought I knew everything. At 21, because I'd been in the sport for about four years by that point or whatever, I just thought, yep, I can do everything on my own. I'm a big girl now, this, that, the other. And now I reflect and I'm like, holy shit, I was only 21. And I was being treated like I had to do everything on my own. And like, I just had to know the answer to everything as an athlete. 
So, you know, in Rio, I blew up in the semi and it was like the most heartbreaking thing ever because I was in the shape of my life. My team and I got me to the best shape of my life, ready to peak, ready to PB, hopefully make the final. And it all came crashing down. And then we came back in the um, relay and I ran a cracking split. The team ran really well to make the final. We did all right in the final. And then I was reflecting and I'm like, that's actually a lot of weight for a 21-year-old in an individual sport. It ate away at me for about three good years straight. Oh, it was shocking. And looking back now, I'm like, actually, I'm proud. Like, <laughs> how many 21-year-olds can handle that kind of pressure? You know what I mean? Mm. But then you do get the old freak that's like a 17-year-old and will come out and win it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. maybe. <laughs> Those assholes. Like, who are they? But looking back, it was just such a cool experience because it, I, I remember thinking, I've wanted this since I was six years old. And for it to finally happen is just like, the most insane feeling. Like I can't put my finger on it. And then like to finally be able to celebrate with some of my best mates in Rio with my family after parties, meeting awesome athletes, like everything about it was just so cool. I think you described it as it was like Christmas in Disneyland all in one all event. In one. And I was like <laughs> I was five. With Pokemon running around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's really interesting. I love speaking to athletes, particularly Olympians, because I think there's such a big emphasis in our society on success and mm-hmm. progress and goals. But often as an athlete, you experience those concepts a lot earlier than other people might in their careers because of the nature of you know the sport that you're in. So many people don't have to confront their peak dream of their lifetime at 21. Like they've often kind of lived a whole lifetime by then. But for you guys, you know, I've seen Nick go through that and feel like silver is failure like yeah. anything other than gold and and he can't he couldn't see that actually everyone else in the world would kill to just be in that race yeah did you struggle with that sort of winning and then peaking and then like achieving a dream so early and then how does anything measure up but then also considering that something that is really successful still felt like a failure like how did that all play out for you yeah it was pretty insane like at the time don't get me wrong it was the best experience ever and I can say it now because I have had time to reflect on it but I just thought oh my gosh I've just absolutely like screwed it up this is my childhood dream and I couldn't even get it right and it's nothing like I thought it would play out in my head but then you've got to realize it's like especially in track and field I don't think people understand how hard it is to win an Olympic medal in this sport like it is one of the hardest sports I would say across the board to be on the world stage because you have to get everything right and everyone can run like the depth is just crazy but then when you do have your own personal goals and achievements it's like okay well you know I wanted to go I wanted to run a PB and I almost did that and sometimes yeah you might fall short and you have to settle for it but it's also like I come from a place where you just got to be super grateful right because things could be worse I might not have ever qualified or I could have been injured or sick or you know It's just one of those things, like I'm working closely with my psych now to understand that it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. You're here for you, not one other person. It does not matter. It's what you can do at the end of the day and what you want to achieve. And she's so good. Like if you fail or whatever, you pick yourself up and we go again, right? Like there's always another opportunity. And that just made me realize like, this is just a journey. You know, you're going to have highs and lows and you've just got to roll with it. Obviously at the end of the day, everyone wants to break records and win. Um, And that is the goal, but it's also like identifying that even to get to that point, it's just such a huge achievement in itself because of all the sacrifices and hard work, which I think a lot of athletes forget to reflect on is like 
what you had to go through just to get to that point. Mm. <laughs> it's just an incredible achievement, right? And it's like in any job, I'd say. I'm so glad that you guys do work closely with psychologists because of that, because you can beat yourself up. Like you become, I imagine, such a perfectionist, like the only goal is win. And so when you don't win, it's like anything other than winning probably in the moment feels like, oh, I failed, even though you're still number two in the world. You know, like it's still a huge achievement. You just have to switch your mindset towards like, even making the Olympics is such a minority mm. in the world of people who get to do that. Yeah, it's such a small club and it's like, wow, it's pretty cool. Like, yeah. I'm the MCC, but I can make the Olympics. makes <laughs> <laughs> <that> sense. <laughs> and, like, the other thing is when you do hit at 21, like, such a high peak, I think often we see things, and I get really fascinated by this in this podcast in general, often we see our goals is like a destination and then it gets really hard if you reach the goal because then you're like oh I'm here like what do I do now and so when people attach all their happiness to certain things happening or certain arriving at a place they don't enjoy the journey because you're always just kind of only trying to get to this one end goal oh yeah and switching your mindset to oh well that was just one chapter and now I've got to you know, formulate a new chapter and a new goal. Talk us through like post your first Olympics. Do you go straight into, okay, what's the next Olympics? And unlike, (laughs) I think anyone outside athletics would think of you going from 400 meters to 800 meters. It's like, cool. She's a runner, like normal. Nick was like, what the actual fuck happened there? Like they are such, he's like, that's like something from football to netball. They're like such different sports. So his question, he's like, can you please ask Morgan why? Like, how did that happen? Was it because you wanted a new challenge? Like to the uninitiated in athletics, talk us through that change. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty funny. So after Rio, like I just was so mentally exhausted. And then 2017 came and then I just had, pretty bad mental health issues and then 2018 came I lost my whole team like no one was really gelling and that was my last major competition as a 400 meter runner and that was the Commonwealth Games in Gold Coast and I remember thinking like I'm not enjoying the sport I'm always sad I don't even want to rock up to training and in my head I was like do I just want to quit or do I want to try something else like I had no coach like my best mate my training partner he was helping formulate some sort of a program and then we train together and hope for the best <laughs> and I'm trying to run a Commonwealth Games <laughs> I'm an athlete that just listens to what the coach says so when you don't have a coach it was like well <laughs> let's just go in and guess but you know you don't know if you don't try <laughs> didn't run that well and yeah so I went away to Europe for about three months and I remember Luke Matthews he got a bronze medal at the Com Games in the 800 and he was being coached by his mum I remember asking her just as just general question. I was like, hey, Liz, would you ever coach me over the 800? And she kind of was like, what the hell? <laughs> She's like, yeah, <laughs> random. You're a 400 runner, but okay. I was like, all right. I was just asking. Went away to Europe, honestly, on a, like a three-month bender. Started off at Coachella, if that's anything to go by. Yeah, sure. So <laughs> really health kick, you know. Yeah. And I was watching all my friends compete on the European circuit. And I remember just watching them and I was like, wow, all my friends are PBing, breaking records. I knew then I didn't want to quit the sport. I wanted to try something else. And the reason I did move, it was just like the comparisons to Kathy Freeman and, oh, she's a wasted talent. And it was just the outside external pressure that I just couldn't deal with anymore. And how hard I had trained just to get to 51-2. I was like, look, it's not worth it. I think I can actually make it in something else. 
I don't want to do this anymore. And so, yeah, I got back from my Europe trip. (laughs) 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 Like, seriously, I was just not an athlete when I came home. And I just said to Liz, well, we've got seven months to, to world champs. Let's see what we can do. And she, I remember her saying, look, let's just try and get you fit. I don't think you might not get to world champs and you need to be okay with that, but let's just see where we can go and we'll aim for Tokyo. I remember going to it, we're making world champs. I just, <laughs> it was already in my mind when I was on that flight from Europe to Australia. I don't care how overweight I was, how unfit I was, we were going to worlds. And yeah, I made the announcement and it's just like, wow, I'm really about to chuck myself in the deep end with going from the four to the eight. It's just completely different. You're going from sprinting to middle distance, a completely different style of running, training. I went from 15 kilometers a week max to about 80 kilometers of running per week. Yeah, that was insane. And along the way, there were so many people just bullying me. And it was kind of, looking back now, it was funny. At the time, I was kind of focused, but I was also distracted by it because I started to believe what they said. But Mm. I just said to Liz, nah, we're going to do it, we're going to do it, we're going to do it. And it was so funny. At Nationals, we medaled. <laughs> and then, you know, a few months later, I'm on the World Unis team and then I'm in a massive Diamond League race in London and that's where I got the qualifier. And nearly ran under two minutes for the first time in the 800. And that's why, yeah, I was like, oh, this is my event. We're in it. And we qualified for Worlds. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. No one will ever understand the sigh of relief. I remember going back to my hotel, super happy, but I just cried. It was like, finally, like when I put my mind to something, it's like anyone, if you put your mind to it, the results will come. And yeah, so for me, it was just like, well, I finally think I've found my purpose again with athletics. I don't want to quit. I understand that it's going to take a few years to get to my end goal, but I'm ready for it. You know what I mean? Mm. So yeah, it was an interesting journey. You put it perfectly. Going from the four to the eight is literally like going from football to netball. (laughs) It's so hard to transition. And I think Liz is such a good coach because she's patient and we just did it so well and we peaked perfectly. And she just said, if you do exactly as I say, we'll get there. And then we did. (laughs) It's just comes back to what we're saying before about that willingness to be a beginner. Like it's not easy. And I think probably because you did it, you forget how hard and intimidating that is, but it is so extraordinarily overwhelming to put yourself out there when the world is looking at you to go screw it I'm really good at what I do but I'm gonna leave that behind and start something that I'm not good at because I've never done it before and try it anyway that takes so much balls that's what that was the thing is like a lot of my um, friends from overseas all the elite athletes and girls I was running against were so encouraging like it just honestly I reckon that's another thing that got me across the line because I thought, wow, these chicks are like Olympic medalists, world record holders or whatever. And they're sending me random messages, just wishing me the best of luck. And for me, that was just so inspiring. Like they knew how hard it was to try and transition. And I thought, yeah, this chick's got nuts. Like <laughs> set of books on it. So for me, that was super humbling. It's just like, wow, you've got these armchair critics that just want to try and bring you down. And you've got some of the best athletes in the world rallying behind you. I think that's another thing that just kept me going. I thought, wow, this sport's really, really cool. Like (laughs) you find some really good people in athletics. It's awesome. It's like a big family. Oh, that's so nice. And that's also like one of the things I talk about, we're kind of mixing in the next section, which is NATA, and that's all the barriers or challenges that get in the way of your joy along the way. And I think self-doubt is one of the biggest ones, even if you're at the top of your game. But when you're at the start of a whole new journey, I can imagine doubting yourself, comparing yourself to others, and not just self-doubt, but external doubt from critics who are like, she won't do this. Like that would be really 
tough to even wake up the next day and get back out on the track if you're not feeling like you're good straight away because you'd come from a place where you were fast. So it'd be like so frustrating to go back to, you know, being new. So I think leaning on the right people around you is so important. But what else really got you through those kind of doubtful moments? I think to be honest, like having a life outside of athletics, right? Because I remember thinking, okay, I have a good team behind me that are supporting me. There's always going to be someone that doesn't like you for whatever reason. And you just need to accept it. Like it's a reflection of them. You know, if you're happy with yourself and someone's coming at you for no reason, it's not your fault. There's something that they're going through. And I think that's what I had to realise. And I thought, okay, I've still got my whole life to worry about. Am I really going to waste all my energy on this one person or, you know, however many people? I was like, nah. So for me, it was like, yeah, get a hobby, do something else. When you're on the track, focus on it. But as soon as I step off the track, I'm like, I'm not a runner. I do not want to hear about athletics. I couldn't, (laughs) you know what I mean? And I think that was a good thing is just having other interests in my life that helped a lot because you'd come back to it and I'd be like, I mean, it's just running. Like I know people, a lot of athletes might think, oh, you know, you're not focused enough, you're not this. And I'm like, no, no, I am. But I'm not going to waste all my energy when it doesn't need to be wasted. (laughs) Like, you know, Mm. and I think that helped. And I think if you met my mum as well, you'd be like, oh, okay, it all makes sense. She's like God's gift to this earth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're God's gift to this earth and she just made you, so. (laughs) (laughs) You know what mums are like. They're just awesome. And that was the thing. I, I think it's just nice knowing that, your parents and friends and family are always going to love you whether you run fast or not. I think Mm. that's what helped get me through. And then working with Emma helped as well because she really goes into the mind and she explains why we have self-doubt. It stems from like the caveman days and all of this. So once you realise, oh, it's all just in my head. You're like, whatever, let's just get this ball rolling. (laughs) Like I still have days, but yeah, you get over it. Just quickly jumping in before we continue with today's episode, because firstly, my lips have been getting so dry lately from recording and talking so much with the heating on now that it's winter. And secondly, because I found the ultimate solution to that problem and thought it would be a yay maker for you guys too. Australia's beloved Carmex has released a game-changing new natural certified lip balm that's clinically proven to provide visible results after only one application and increase moisture levels in the lips by up to 200%, even after four hours of wear. It soothes and smooths your lips naturally with sustainably sourced butters, colloidal oatmeal and cold-pressed fruit seed oils. Plus, it's also gentle because it doesn't have that famous Carmex tingle, which is not everyone's piece of cake. Carmex Naturally is just straight up fast acting lip hydration that now has a permanent place in my handbag. It's available at pharmacies in watermelon, pear, or my personal favorite, berry. Plus at the moment, you can win $5,000 for you and $5,000 for a charity by purchasing any Carmex lip balm product and entering on their website, carmex.com.au. I'll pop the link in the show notes. Now back to the show. I think you're also the most level-headed athlete I've heard talk about Tokyo as well. Like, of course, it's devastating and people outside of the sporting world probably don't quite grasp how much you are trained to peak at the exact date that the Olympics is meant to be on. (laughs) But I heard you talk about it on another podcast. You're just like, I mean, yeah, it's devastating. And yeah, we all had this one date that everything was backdated from, but, you know, people are dying like it's it's a really tough time there's got to be perspective that it's disappointing there's uncertainty but everyone in the world is facing that so and like we still get to travel the world like I mean obviously I'm not I decided not to but like a lot of athletes can still travel the world and compete 
like have some respect or like you know be grateful for what we've been given and the opportunities like you know you hear of people's relatives mums dads whatever getting even just getting sick and being hospitalized or even like hearing of people lose their sense of smell and taste mm. like, and we're really comp- like complaining about an olympics are you smoking <laughs> oh i shouldn't say that <laughs> <laughs> because it's like I'm so grateful we can still run because a lot of people, like seeing my sister even last year, she suffered quite bad. Like she lost her job and everything. And I've never seen her go through something. It was just a very dark time for her and it broke my heart. And I was the selfish one thinking, oh, I've just got to run and I'm going to train. And I was like, well, I don't, there's no Olympics. I should be there for it. Mm. And that really put things into perspective for me. Yeah. I just think, yeah, being an athlete, we're still human for sure, but we do need to realize like we've got it pretty good. Because in my head, I'm like, well, if they can run an Olympics, run a Coachella. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, where are the music fans? If you can organise, what is it, 30,000 people to go, athletes and officials get to go to an Olympics. Where's <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrowland? <laughs> I love that you're just like, most athletes only know the world of athletics and there's nothing else that exists in their like field of vision. And you're just like, mate, where Coachella at? Like, yeah. come on. <laughs> <laughs> when you think about it right that's how like privileged we are as athletes it's like they're trying so hard to put this thing on I'm sure a lot of music lovers want to go to the next festival like Austin City Limits or yeah like Coachella or whatever and they, <laughs> they'd be sitting back like well it can be done clearly apparently <laughs> yeah that's what I don't know I just yeah I, I'm, like, I'm excited to go don't get me wrong <laughs> Oh yeah, absolutely. But I think it's so refreshing that you just have other things going on in your world. And it's, it's fascinating to look at, you know, all the other activities and ambassadorships and ways that you use your platform for things other than athletics, even though that's why you're such a big role model. And even though, you know, we're so impressed and fascinated by your skill and talent, it's just so healthy and amazing (laughs) that, you know, outside of training, you're, I think you're the first athlete to become an F45 ambassador, which is a cross-discipline. Like that's a totally different kind of training. So that seems counterintuitive, but I love that you're like, no, we need to, like athletes can't only train on the track because your body's not going to get anything from just repeating the same thing over and over. So how do you sort of train and how does, like, how does F45 work into that? How do other forms of training, like, is it on the track, you know, 90% of the time? What are the sort of quirkiest parts of life as an athlete that we wouldn't know, you know? I think if you can't tell by now, I get bored quite easily. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I've always just enjoyed sport. And I think for me, like, my training, I'll be on the track maybe three days a week, jogging another three days a week and then I'll have a rest day. But when I'm cross training, I try to cross train at least two to three days a week on top of that. And that'll be whether it's boxing, basketball, in the pool, on the elliptical. For me, it's like, I just need to keep moving. I need to keep breathing and I need to have fun. So if I don't want to do the elliptical, I'll go and play 40 minutes of basketball, just get like three on three and we'll all just, you know, have a shoot around. And then I found at 45 was awesome because it's like, wow, 45 minutes, I'm in, I'm out. I love the community feel. You get to meet like people from all walks of life with different goals. And then they look at you like, oh, you're an athlete. But then I look at them like, yeah, but it's my job. Like I have to be doing this and like, I have to stay fit. You guys, this is like a choice. And I just, <laughs> You know what I mean? Like that is so admirable to me that people are like, yeah, I want to get fit today. You choose this pain. I have yeah. to be here. Yeah. Like to me, that's just huge. <laughs> it's so impressive. And that's the thing I love about F45 is like, 
all the workouts are different, the community feel, it's just so much fun. You can pick whatever time you want to train. And then, yeah, you just get to meet so many cool people wherever you are as well. Like I'm going to the one tomorrow at Hope Island up here and then I'll be in Burley Heads next week. I don't know, that's the coolest part for me. It's just like, yeah, I'm all about fun and just trying new things. And the quirkiest part of training is, yeah, let's just keep it interesting. Like when I'm on the track, we're very specific. I want to have my gym days, which are like maybe two days a week. It's very specific. But all of the other maintenance stuff, like all the cross training, I just think, oh, and I can do anything. Let's just switch it up because it's all about just, you know, staying fit. So, yeah, that was cool. That was like when I got into the boxing, I was hitting that pretty hard. And then I got bored and I was like, okay, I want to be in the F45 gym at least twice a week doing one cardio, one strength, because I feel like it really, really helps me. And I just know when I'm in off season and I don't have to think about running, I'll just go straight to F45 three days a week. And that's me done until I'm, you know, summoned back to the track. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually what I love about F45, that you can never get bored because the class is never the same. So you're always like... Even in the class itself, you only do an exercise for like 45 seconds. So you can't even get bored in each exercise because you're just about to die and then you're like, oh, next one. (laughs) Yeah, and it's such a laugh. Like we've got one of my best mates and we usually go to the Morty Alec one and it's just like a challenge. Like we're always versing each other. For us, it's like a mini Olympics every time we walk in. It ends up being a big laugh. (laughs) One, because I always win. But two... (laughs) Obvious. I mean, obviously. (laughs) It's so funny. But two, it's just like we didn't even have to think. I love when you can just work out and not have to think about it. You know what I mean? So for me, that's yeah. the biggest part. It's just like, yeah, come in, verse me. We hook up our Apple Watches. It's all, it's, <laughs> it's pretty intense. Have you met Mark Wahlberg yet? Have you got to like... No, you should put that in the contract. <laughs> I feel like you should. I feel like you should do it so that you can beat him and then be like, hey, I beat Mark Wahlberg. I heard he liked basketball. I didn't even realise. I, I honestly would love to verse him in one-on-one. I feel like that would be so amazing. I would want that would take like more viewers away from the Olympics. Like we would all just be watching that. Yeah. I honestly back myself. (laughs) Inside a tip for any punters out there, Morgan backs herself. Just saying. (laughs) What about when you're actually on the track? Do you have any like superstitions or rituals? Like how often do you change your spikes for anyone who doesn't actually know anything about athletics? Like what's some of your day-to-day running secrets or you know quirky things that you do i tell you what's funny this might be contradicting myself but i don't really believe in superstitions for me only because when we are on the circuit obviously pre-covid you're traveling every three to four days to different european countries to race so the food's always different the atmosphere is always different the race is always different everything is different so i'm just like let's just roll with it like i'm not going to get into any strict regime because at some point it'll be thrown out and i don't want to crumble because of it but what I've finally realized is I always have to put my left shoe on first so is that a superstition it just feels really weird that's kind of a ritual yeah yeah that's the only thing you always find me putting my left shoe on first wow I I just don't feel right (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it is but I picked up on it because one time I was like oh in my head I'm like let's just try it nah not doing that I'm gonna do it (laughs) we (laughs) you know I'm like yeah screw all that stuff but I have to put my left shoe on first Otherwise, my life just it doesn't, I don't know what it is. It just spirals out of control. Yeah, but how did it come about? I don't know. You know that's fascinating. I always wonder, you know when you watch Nadal and he has to do his little steps onto the court and then he picks his wedgie and then he picks his nose yeah. and you're like, how did you figure out that that exact 
sequence? Like why the wedgie before the nose? What if it was the other way around? <laughs> like slaps his head back. Yeah. <laughs> like how did he figure out that that was his order of those 25 <laughs> different things? Yeah. <laughs> Left you on first. That's all I ask for. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> and what about being part of Game Changers? So I was actually really disappointed when I found out and disappointed for you as well that you filmed like four years before it actually came out. So I'm sitting here going, she was filming with Arnie and like Jackie yeah. Chan. <laughs> yeah, no, it was honestly, what a ride. I honestly forget that it even happened now. Like, so yeah, it was straight after the Olympics. I flew to LA to shoot for about four days. So this is back in 2016. And it started off as a small documentary. That was the weirdest part. Like, I remember Peter Siddle's wife had messaged me like, hey, he can't do it, will you do it? I'm like, yeah, it's a small blocker, why not? I'm free at that time. And then she mentioned James Cameron. I'm like, yeah, I'll definitely be there in LA. <laughs> <Tell you what. laughs> I love Titanic, so yes, I will be there. Literally, my mum was like, Morgan, you loved that movie. It was mainly Celine Dion. Oh, obviously. Have you watched her carpool karaoke with James Corden? No. I oh my God, not. go watch it. I'll send you the link. <laughs> Dallas was my favorite. Oh my God, then you'll love Celine. So they end up <laughs> at some theme park in Vegas on this boat, like singing Titanic. It's amazing. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I remember that was 2016. 2017 didn't hear it much. And I'm like, oh, it's probably died down, but the trip to LA was fun. Then they contact us, contacted us at the end of 2017, like, oh, we want you in Canada for a premiere. We've found Arnold, we've found Serena, we've found Novak, Jackie Chan, Chris Paul. And I'm like, hang on, wait, are you, do you have the right number? I'm like, what the? F-? I was like, I, I was like, do I even still have a role? <laughs> you still want me in this movie? I was like, I won't be offended. Don't feel bad. I don't have to be in it. Like, no, no, no. We want you to be a part of it. And that's why it's, it, it's taken so long to obviously get to this point. And so we went to this mini premiere in Canada and that was fun. I got to meet everyone. Got to meet James Cameron's wife. She's like the nicest person ever. Yeah. <gasps> She's the, is she the Hurt Locker director? Or is that his ex-wife? Ooh. Ugh. Oh, touchy subject. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like, I should have fact-checked. Oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, and then that was 2018 and then 2019. They're like, oh, by the way, we're going to be on Netflix, iTunes. And this is all just before Worlds. And I was kind of like, ooh. Like, I've got to run. <laughs> in America, Hollywood, I was like, this has never really been a massive dream of mine, but yes, I'll go. <laughs> and then, yeah, from there, it just blew up. And honestly, it was like, the what I want people to know is just like, they were the most incredible team to work with from start to finish. And James Wilkes, putting that together, it's just incredible what he did. Where it started to what it became in the end was just like, whoa, that's mind blowing. Like his hard work and the passion he put into it obviously showed when you watched it mm. and with the help of having James Cameron, like it's massive. Yeah, for me, it was just like such a cool, humbling experience. But then I remember thinking, Hollywood's fun. You do you meet a lot of people and you kind of realise maybe it's not where I want to be right now. You know what I mean? I think that's where it comes, you know, it stems back to mum and my sisters just remain humble because you know, anyone can chew you up and spit you out. So I just thought, yeah, good night. Let's go to Doha. We've got world champs to focus on. Like, I don't want to get caught up in that lifestyle just yet. So that was good. But how incredible. I mean, we are good friends with Siddle and Anna. Do you know we have a vegan cafe, Matcha Milk Bar? Is that you guys? Oh my God. That's our cafe. Yeah, far out. In St Kilda. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we were watching the progression of the film very closely and it was just like mind-blowing because 
none of us are actually vegan. We were just blown away by how the information that is actually really impactful is often mm-hmm. packaged the wrong way and yeah. not communicated so that the masses and the mainstream don't consider going meat-free a few days a week, which would also have a, you know just as much change as less people going fully vegan. So this film yeah. was like combating that exact problem. It's not the stats that aren't persuasive. They're so persuasive. It's the, the way they're delivered and you guys – and that project, like it was such an impactful movie and I think it converted a lot of people's thinking who would never have considered that before because of the yeah. way you you presented it. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's how you start, right, is like you don't want to force information down people's throats because no one likes that across any issue, right? But I was just like, at least just give it a crack or just try it or, you know, I'm like I'm not here to force anyone to do anything because I wouldn't want that done to me. But that was it was quite funny. A lot of my friends were like, I fucking hate you. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. You know, or like even when we're out, they do want to try vegan cafes and restaurants. And I'm like, oh, that's actually pretty cool because I'm super chill. I could go to like Meat and Wine Co and I'll just get a salad. Like I'm not one to ruin the night out. I just want to hang with my friends. But um, it is nice knowing like, oh, they're a little bit more mindful and accepting of it. I'm like, oh, well, then that's job done. You know, that's like step one. You can't just expect people to jump into the deep end and swim, right? Mm. And I think that's what Game Changers did really well is just to get people thinking. Some people did just want to go straight into it. Some just wanted to explore. And it was like, oh, that's actually really cool that they got their point across. Mm. So, yeah, kudos to James Cameron and team. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they had great tools and they had the great Morgan Mitchell as part of it, which is obviously why everyone else said yes. I mean, let's be real. You you started it all. <laughs> when did you go vegan? What was your kind of journey with plant-based eating? Pretty funny. I went vegan in at the end of 2014. And honestly, it was just an ex that tried every single diet under the sun. And he's like, hey, I never wanted to try it. I'm like, how old was I? I was like, what, 19, 20? Like, I don't really want to do, I don't want to do your keto diet. I don't want to do your high carb, low carb. Like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine you tolerating just being like, mate, come on, let's just eat. Yeah. I was like, put your head in. But one day he comes in and he's like, we should go vegan. And I, I just said, yes. I was like, sure. And I think, I don't know if it was to shut him up or something deep within my subconscious clicked. But from that day on, I just dropped everything and went vegan. <laughs> what did wow. you read about it? Yeah, really weird. And then he started telling me the impact it had on the environment and the animals. And I think that's what broke my heart. You watch a few videos about the animals and I'm like, nah, I just, Mm. but that is just, you know, you start tearing up and it makes you really question like the choices you make in life. And for me, that was what got me across the line. And then I thought, oh, I'm still an athlete. I need to see a dietitian if I want to take this seriously. Because I had no idea what I was doing. Then I sought one out from Sids and Anna and yeah, we just got the ball rolling and yeah, it seemed to work. <laughs> so I've been vegan ever since. Time flies though. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was what was so amazing about that film that there's a lot of information out there about, you know, why the environment will benefit, why yeah. from an animal rights perspective, obviously vegan is the preferable lifestyle, but people don't actually think that from a, a performance aspect, like I think they think there's a sacrifice for athletes, mm. but the fact that you are all elite athletes in this movie and yeah. are still performing really well was like quite, quite, I was going to say game changing, but obviously yeah. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're trying to say. <laughs> like it was really revolutionary because people were like, wow, you guys aren't slower or struggling no. to put on muscle mass or, you know, yeah. you're, you're still 
and not even still, like in some cases, people's performance improved. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that was the other thing is like, you obviously need the evidence, right? You can't just convince people without evidence. So it was nice. Even meeting some of those athletes, I thought, wow, I just feel like a little pleb compared to some of them. Like what they, <laughs> the effort they put in, I thought that's just freaking amazing. But I always tell people, I'm like, if you want to go vegan, it's like anything. If you're sick, you see a doctor, you want to get your teeth checked. You don't do it yourself and look in the mirror. You go to a dentist. So if you want to change your diet, see a dietitian, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like seek out the professionals, you know, but it just seems like when you mention veganism, people just think it's dumb and stupid and you can't do it. It's like, well, if you want to change with anything, you go and that's what I did. I was like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to go find someone that knows what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Get help. Get professionals yeah. on board. Because once you get the professional help, they give you all the information and then they tell you what you need to eat, when you need to eat it. And I think that's why I ran so well in 2016 as well with my dietitian. She was just like, bang, 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 bang. Stick to this and you'll be fine. Mm. And then, yeah, ran my PB, made the Olympics and was undefeated that whole season. Like, <laughs> There you go. There you go. <laughs> invest and you'll get the return. <laughs> <laughs> the proof is in the plants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, though, now that I, like, I know that you run much milk bar, I don't know if you have any... The Fronteurs, is that it? Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I would love, one, a sushi train, because I just don't think there are enough in Melbourne, but a vegan sushi train. Oh. Obviously, because I'm vegan, I like, would want a vegan one. But when you think about it, because, like, I love sushi, I was just like, why aren't there any sushi trains? Or am I missing something? You know what I mean? No, I don't think there are. You've got the blueprint. You've started a restaurant. I'm just saying. I'm happy to invest. I just don't know where to start. (laughs) Yeah, like our big thing was looking at where those gaps were. Like what were the things that – because all the kind of plant-based or even vegetarian restaurants that already existed, not so much now, but when we first started in 2016, were very woo-woo, hippie, earth mother, which is amazing, but it's one category that's quite intimidating to – certain parts of society that we also wanted to be able to access plant-based eating so we looked in like the gaps of like what's missing well obviously sushi is a big gap but breakfast like eggs and that's why we made the vegan egg because we're like you can't go out for breakfast and have breakfast if you can't eat eggs yeah yeah and I think it's areas like you know when KFC opened next door we were like well we need to obviously figure out some vegan fried chicken that actually tastes like chicken actually has protein in it and isn't just cashews and you know nutritionally not that great and I think sushi is like the next step it's like what are things that are traditionally so meat-based that no one can even kind of fathom how to do it otherwise yeah like there's only one place in Sydney where I can get good sushi and I'm not I mean other than this year I'm not usually in Sydney that often yeah my idea if you as a board sorry we've tried you know we've just gone off track a bit So, guys, in three months' time, when you see a vegan sushi train open, it's a joint Mitchell Davidson project. Yeah. <laughs> First one's on me. Yeah. <laughs> to make sure we can get it rolling. <laughs> rolling. Let's see this little train rolling. Get it rolling. Oh, <laughs> Oh, well, the last section, which is actually probably the easiest one for you, and I love we've actually already touched on it, uh, it's play TA. And this is the part where we separate people's identity from their work and find out what they do just for joy, which is usually a lot more difficult to get it out of them, particularly because I have the privilege of speaking to people who love their job, which means they 
often don't feel like they need anything outside. But I think as we've talked about, you know, you're so much better at what you do when you take space away from it and let yourself just do things that make you forget what time it is and play. Mm. So other than Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon, what do you do? <laughs> Such a child. <laughs> but this is the thing, right? So my podcast is called Seize the Yay because yay is a juvenile word and we take ourselves so seriously. And, you know, we become really serious, boring adults and we lose the inner child. But I think yay. <laughs> being a big kid is what this section is about. Yeah. So things I like love to do. Yeah, just like that's not productive. So I think we don't give ourselves time to waste time, if that makes sense, like watch TV or read a book or do puzzles or just stuff that you do that's purely for joy. Well, don't judge anyone listening. <laughs> We're all judging. <laughs> <laughs> so it's always been my dream to move to Spain at the end of my career. Yeah, I just want to disappear and get off social media and just like fully immerse myself in Spanish culture. So I'm learning Spanish. So it's like I love watching Spanish TV shows and movies. That's like my number one thing at the moment and then I love playing piano when I'm home and I spend hours on the piano and it's like you know you're so focused on it and just like playing songs that you forget that the world even exists um my final thing is sudoku (laughs) 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 I don't really want to admit it but it is no babe you have no idea if I wasn't wearing pajamas and I don't want to get up and show you my pajamas I would go and get you all the sudoku books that are under my pillow really so much fun how is it so addictive do you know what it is so I think when people are struggling to figure out what their play is I try and like get them to think about when they forget what time it is and the only things that pull your brain in that much that you forget like you disconnect from when you are and where you are are things that require enough concentration like Sudoku like your problem solving that you can't be doing anything else at the same time but they're not so hard that you get tired yeah literally I love it like I always have a book in my bag when I'm traveling like always yeah oh my gosh I like they're picking up on it because now the books are getting prettier and they've got like different graphics and I'm like oh my god I need every book because because aesthetically to me they're so pleasing (laughs) (laughs) halfway through the first one let me like give me a break (laughs) but then sometimes I get to the point where like you know when you just want to win you just do an easy one. When you want a bit of a challenge, (laughs) you do a medium one. And some days I'm like, I just want, you know, I want my mind to be stretched and I'll go straight to a hard one, but I'll get to the point where I just can't get any further and I'll throw the book and be like, fuck this. Like, (laughs) and I'll go back to easy so I can finish it. I always do the back of the, I'm like, I'm just going to have a peek. (laughs) Oh yeah, the answers. Just need one number and then I'll be fine for the rest (laughs) of it. Oh my God, we're the same. Yeah, I do the exact same thing though. It's like easy when you just don't want to think. Medium when you do want a bit of a challenge. Prove myself, I'm going to go straight to the elite level. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I never last on elite. I never last. I'm like, this is, I don't want it to be this hard. Like I want a challenge, but I don't want to feel like totally, you know, a moron. (laughs) (laughs) second last question what are three interesting things about you that don't normally come up in conversation really oh three interesting things I mean you have Nefertiti as a tattoo I know that yeah everyone loves it I have a tattoo on the inside of my lip (gasps) it surprises people yeah well also because they don't last right well they do apparently because mine's still there and I got it when I was 19 like your teeth rub so it'll rub it off I'm like oh if that's the case let's just get yo. Now I'm stuck 
with yo. <laughs> <laughs> Show me. Okay, I'll come up close. Yo is such a good one. Oh my god, that's the best. It's not, Sarah. <laughs> I was at the dentist the other day and he was like, what? What is? I'm like, it's a tattoo. This fix my fucking teeth. <laughs> Just leave me alone. Don't look. Don't charge. Do your job. <laughs> but you know what? Because people think that they dissolve after six months. People think you got that recently. So we're all judging you as if you got it now. Yeah, literally. <laughs> but it didn't hurt at all. It was the weirdest feeling. Yeah, it was just like, a, I don't even, like not even a scratch. Very interesting. Like uh, if I had have known that would be the pain, I definitely would have gotten something else. But Which just... is good because you probably would have got like a full like yeah. character, like a like a Pokemon on the inside, like a Bulbasaur or something. That'd actually be a lot better because I've got Yo with an exclamation mark. So people think it says YOLO. And the other O just rubbed off. And I'm like, I promise you, it does not fucking say YOLO. <laughs> I'm dumb, but I'm not that dumb. <laughs> I'm yo dumb. I'm not YOLO dumb. Yo-dumb. Like there's levels, you know. <laughs> oh my God, literally, that's so <laughs> I'm not YOLO <laughs> That should be in your bio on Instagram. But it's so true. <laughs> well, that's a good one. What are two other random interesting facts? I don't know if this is interesting, but at the start of the year, I like literally broke like four of my toes. What? Playing Nerf guns. Then I smacked one on the side of the door and then from running in shoes that were too small because I forgot some sneakers. And now like, I don't know if it's even interesting. It's just disgusting, but it's pretty It's funny. so interesting. You're an athlete that re- you rely on having like non-broken toes. Like, yeah, like I said, I had never been injured and then I get this Achilles injury and break like four of my toes just being an idiot. Also such an idiot that you broke them all separately. It wasn't like one fall. Yeah. Like when I had to tell my coach the first time I was playing with Nerf guns, <laughs> oh my God, she saw red. I was like, yeah, I don't think I can run for a few days. And now all the toenails are falling off. It's disgusting. (gasps) So gross. (laughs) Oh, another interesting thing, actually. I have nine siblings. There's nine of us. Nine siblings. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's when I was thinking about it the other day. I'm like, what is interesting about me? And every time I tell people that there's nine of us, because obviously people only ever really see Brittany. She's like my best friend, but she's uh, my younger sister. Like, no, there's nine. <laughs> there's what, two boys and seven girls. Oh yeah. my gosh. So, Christmas, you're like actually broke. <laughs> no, no, we all, yeah. <laughs> uh, one's like uh, four in a chuka, then there's us three. A chuka? Yeah, random. So <laughs> yeah. random. <laughs> right? But yeah, so there's nine of us, all like half. But then I have my two full sisters, Liv and Brit, and we're all a year apart, and I'm the middle child. Wow, that's so cool. Oh, well, uh, last question. Because I love quotes so much, as I mentioned. What's your favourite quote? My favourite quote is, you don't know if you don't try. Oh, my God, that's so you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, oh, fuck it. Let's just do it. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, I love it. So this whole thing, like play DA, the whole thing of figuring out what you love to do, like so many people, particularly when I was a lawyer, so many people would be like, I just don't know what I'm passionate about. And I'd be like, well, what have you tried? And they'd be like, well, nothing except what I do. I'm like, mate, you're not going to figure out what you're joyful and passionate about if you don't just try random shit. So I love that. Yeah. What, what kind of law, if you don't mind me asking? I did mergers and acquisitions. So really corporate, like shares and yeah. Oh my God, that's so impressive. <laughs> it's just a, a lot of paper pushing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. How long did you do that for? Four years. Oh, my God. And then were you just like, no, nah, I want to try something else? Yeah, so it's uh, such a long story, but the it was a total accident. I went to Africa, got a parasite, got really sick, 
couldn't drink coffee, discovered matcha because I could have the caffeine and then needed some for myself. And my husband and I bought some. It arrived. It was two million serves too many for two people to consume by the due date. (laughs) And so we started selling it and then it just took off. And we got into Urban Outfitters in the US. I had to leave my job to be able to fulfill that order. And I went from like having a 10-year plan to having not even a 10-minute plan, just sort of being like, ah, trying to survive. (laughs) And then a year after that, we started Matcha Milk Bar. And then a year after that, started the podcast and have just sort of been on this, like, that's where CZA came from, the whole idea that people who are really unhappy with where they are, they'll inevitably reach a turning point and they'll change their life because it's too uncomfortable. But if you're just blah, like if you just got a good job, you get paid, you've got stability, you often don't ask any more questions. And that was me. I would never have left because I was like, eh, like kind of like suits. I'm kind of Meghan Markle. It's kind of fine. (laughs) (laughs) But by accident, I realized actually I'm way more creative and I'm, that's so awesome. I love people and I love storytelling and I would never have known that unless I just went and tried something different, which is why that quote for me is like, that's what this show is. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to the parasite. <laughs> Shout out to go and get a parasite and see what happens. That's so impressive though. Like you drink coffee now and that. Yeah, yeah. Thank God. That's awesome. But I didn't for like six years. I had adrenal fatigue really badly and so I had to quit alcohol, coffee, anything that was a real stimulant for your body. So like uh, refined sugar, I had to just go on a super, super clean diet, lots of like naturopathy, acupuncture. Yeah. Big health kick for like six years and then slowly sort of started to reintegrate normal things. Yeah. Congrats. Oh, thanks, man, says the Olympian. <laughs> Honestly, when you really think about it, it's just running like anyone can do it. <laughs> anyone cannot do it. Well, anyone, anyone can run. That's true. Not everyone can run in the Olympics. Yeah, but I'm like, it's just two laps. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Like, let's really break it down. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining and being such a breath of fresh air. Like, what an absolute legend. Man, that was awesome. Thanks for having me. Oh, this has been so much fun and we'll be following you so keenly in Tokyo, like partly for the running, partly for the after party. I just want to hear all about the party at the end. <laughs> I'm missing in Mexico. Let's be honest. (laughs) That's where it starts. (laughs) Oh, you legend. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good day, Sarah. Again, I can't believe this woman is only 26 and is so relaxed and level-headed about her incredible success on the world stage. I enjoyed getting to know her so much. And like I said at the beginning, truly hope I get to spend some more time with her in the future. And I hope she entertained you guys as much as she did for me. As always, please let her know what you enjoyed or reflected on, sharing and tagging at Morgan Mitch to shower her with love for this episode and so that we can reshare. Equally, please never hesitate to send me a DM or email too with any feedback, suggestions or requests in particular, as well as for any co-hosts for Yays of Our Lives so we can keep growing the neighbourhood bigger and better than ever. Speaking of running, hopefully some of you will be joining us for Relief Run this weekend, which you will know all about by now. But if not, head back to Yays of Our Lives from a couple of weeks ago with Samantha Gash and Joe Nevin to catch up. I hope you're all having a wonderful week and are seizing your yay.